Father, we come before you this evening and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful truth that it proclaims. Thank you for what it teaches us about you, about us, and about our need for you. Father, as we spend time thinking about Psalm 23 this evening, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. What kind of quote would you expect to hear from someone who went through the atrocities of World War II? Someone who was imprisoned for helping Jews escape that immense persecution and mass execution. Someone who was herself arrested and sent to a concentration camp. Someone who lost her family, who saw her sister die, who saw thousands of people being sent to their death in the gas chambers. What kind of quote would you expect to hear from someone like that? Well, we've already heard about her this morning. Corrie ten Boom said this, a young woman from the Netherlands who survived all of that and lived to tell the tale said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. It sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Someone who has gone through such immense suffering, how can she speak with such conviction, with such confidence and faith and contentment? The only reason Corrie could say that, the only reason millions of Christians throughout all of church history who have suffered immensely, who have been persecuted, I've been able to express that same faith and confidence in God is because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. There is no other explanation. And this evening as we come to Psalm 23, as Ronnie said, one of the most, if not the most, well-known passages in the Bible. It is a psalm that is used to comfort people in their pain. It's a psalm that is read at funerals, at hospital bedsides all over the world. It's a psalm that's been taught to millions of people in schools. And it's a psalm that many of us, probably all of us this evening, could recite off by heart without much thought. But there are dangers when we come to familiar passages of scripture like this, aren't there? We can either become numb to the truth that it proclaims, Or, on the other side, we apply it directly to us without doing all the work behind the scenes. Both of those are dangers to be avoided at all costs. As we saw with Ivan Martin last time, every passage of scripture and every psalm has its original context that we need to understand in order for us to apply the Bible properly. And in this little section of the book of Psalms, in Psalms 20 to 24, they are all about the glory of the king. That starts initially with King David, but they ultimately point us to the greater King Jesus and his immense glory. So here's a summary of every psalm from Psalms 20 to 24. Psalm 20 is about the prayerful king. 
Psalm 21, the victorious king who overcomes. Psalm 22, the suffering king, as he goes through immense pain and turmoil. Psalm 23, the shepherd and host king. And Psalm 24, the king in all his glory. Now the main thing we're going to see tonight in Psalm 23, which is similar to what Corrie ten Boom said, is that God is enough. That's what I want you to walk away from this evening, that God is enough. He is enough in your good times, and he is enough in your bad times. He is enough in your joys, and he is enough in your sorrows. He is enough for you in this life, and he is certainly enough for you in the life to come. Providing that you abide in him. Now how can God be enough? Well, as this psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is my host. Those are the two things we're going to focus on this evening. But before we dive into this psalm, we need to look at its original context and see how this, what this psalm meant to David. See, this psalm is a very personal psalm. That's why people love it so much. 17 times in just six short verses. David says, I, me, or my. It's a very personal psalm, and so our tendency is to read it and read ourselves into it. But we can only read Psalm 23 as being relevant for us today if we are in Jesus. And through, if we read it through the lens of his completed work on the cross. See, it's a psalm of David. This, first of all, is his psalm. That's why the heading in your Bibles says a psalm of David. And that's in the original manuscripts. That is God's word. We need to read that and think about it. But how exactly is this David's psalm and his experience? Well, it's his psalm because he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a psalm that's close to his heart. Look, as, look at how the psalm begins. Verse 1, as Ronnie pointed out, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now before David was a king, what was he? He was a shepherd. He knows what a shepherd is like. He knows what God is like as well. And so he can confidently say, I am a sheep unto that great shepherd. And I lack nothing. Despite going in the darkest of valleys, I know the one who watches over me. He is my shepherd. David knows God, God's leading, as verse 2 talks about. He knows God's blessing and his protection, even if he is in the darkest of valleys, as verse 4 says. Even there, David says, God is with me. And he was a man who knew dark valleys, wasn't he? Just cast your eyes over Psalm 22, another Psalm of David. That was clearly talking about a very difficult time in his life. But think even further back to some of the events in his life described in the book of First and Second Samuel. The time when David was chosen by God to be king of Israel. He was anointed by Samuel as in 1 Samuel 16. But then what happened? He didn't just go straight to the throne. No, he was chased. 
by enemy armies. People wanted him dead. He was a king on the run because people didn't want him on the throne. And I think it's quite important to say that we don't know when Psalm 23 was written. And I think that is very interesting. Because it could have been written at the same time as Psalm 22. Compare those two Psalms. That's a great exercise for you to do later on. Compare them and they are night and day. Psalm 22 is pain, ends in rejoicing. But Psalm 23 is full of hope. See, we struggle with Psalm 22, or at least the beginning of it. Because it's all about pain. But we love Psalm 23 because it's all about hope, or so we think. And don't worry, I'm not going to burst your bubble tonight. But there's no indication that Psalm, that David wrote Psalm 23 from a happy place. There is no indication that he wrote it during a rosy moment in his life. Maybe he wrote it in that darkest valley. Regardless of where he wrote it, the truth remains the same. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. Now the day would come where David did experience victory and he was crowned king over Jerusalem. And that's why Psalm 23 verse 5 reads a bit like a a victory banquet and the coronation of a king. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's a celebration banquet as he has finally claimed his rightful place on the throne of Israel. The anointing of oil in verse 5 describes a coronation ceremony as the king is set apart, called by God to be the leader over God's people and to govern well. So Psalm 23 is a personal psalm, but we don't necessarily have the exact same experience as David, do we? We aren't being chased down by enemy armies, or I hope you're not. We haven't won the victory in a battlefield and we're now sitting on a throne being anointed with oil. That's just foreign to us. It's personal, but it's David's experience. But then there are also bits where I have to question, was it really David's experience? Look at verse 3, for example, where David says, he, speaking about God, guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. David wasn't always on the right paths, was he? He wasn't a man without sin, a quick skim over his life story, and you will see blatant sins in his life. He was a rapist. He was a murderer. And yet somehow he says confidently in verse 6 that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's thinking of the temple, any Old Testament Israelite would be thinking of the temple at this point. But how can this king, who has done things very obviously contrary to God's word, want to dwell in the presence of a holy and perfect God? And how can he be confident that he will dwell there for eternity? How is that possible? And this is where the psalm moves beyond the life of David. Because this psalm is not only his, it's not only about the king of Israel, but it's about the king of the universe. The true king, the great king, the glorious king, Jesus. 
This is where the psalm prophetically points us to him. Because David wasn't always on the right paths, but Jesus was. And the only reason David could boldly proclaim in verse 6 that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever is because he had faith in and trusted in God's promises. The promises that God would send a greater king after David. This psalm, as with all of Psalms 20 to 24, they all find their fulfillment in Christ. See, Jesus was the one who was truly led by the Father, as verse 2 says. Jesus was the one who was given everything he needed, as verse 1 says. Jesus was the only one who truly followed the right paths of God, as verse 3 says. And didn't Jesus, wasn't he the one who went into the darkest valley of all, as he faced the full wrath of God against the sins of the world? But Jesus is the one who rose from the dead, who is crowned king of all creation. And he is the one who is seated at the right hand of the father, crowned in glory, in splendor, in majesty and honor. Jesus right now is dwelling in the house of the Lord and he is preparing that banquet table, that great wedding feast for all his people to enjoy forever. This psalm is about Jesus. He is the true king. So is David's psalm. This psalm is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, but then it can also be our psalm. If we are in Christ, if we come before him in humility, recognizing Jesus as king in our lives and worshiping him. See, without a living faith in Jesus, this is just a nice piece of poetry. Only in Christ does this become your psalm. And if you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, maybe you like the poetry, maybe you like the blessings that it describes, and you want them for yourself, it can all be yours. It can all be yours if you confess your sins and come to Jesus, and you will find fulfillment in Him. You will find it nowhere else. Corrie ten Boom said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So let's look at this psalm together and think through what it means for us. So we've done the background work. Let's think about how it applies to us and how it teaches us that God is enough. The first thing we see is that the Lord is my shepherd in verses 1 to 4. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when you hear about shepherds in today's world, we normally think about people on quad bikes who drive around feeding the sheep, checking that they're doing okay normally whilst they're penned into a field with little danger in sight. But that's not the way it was back in David's day. See, the job of a shepherd in that day was dangerous. It was difficult and it was also a despised job often left to the youngest son or the least in society. And David knew what it was to be a shepherd. That was his upbringing, but he also knew what it was like to be a king. Two completely different jobs, completely different roles, two contrasting positions in life. So when we describe God as our shepherd, isn't that the perfect description of Jesus? 
the king who left his place of glory in heaven, his place of prestige and honor at the right hand of the father, the king who humbled himself and stepped into our world. That's precisely why Jesus can describe himself in John 10 as the good shepherd. Now, you probably don't know this about me, but when I lived in Romania, um, I was a shepherd for a wee while. And I would go to the farm I worked at. I would collect the sheep in the morning. I would walk them through the village to the fields on the other side, and I would watch them during the day. We can chat about that later on. A good thinking, what on earth have we got as a pastor? Um, A good shepherd knows his sheep, feeds his sheep, and protects his sheep. And David sees all of that in God. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, what does that make us? The sheep. Now, if you've spent any time with sheep, you know that they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. They wander off. They need leading. Left to their own devices, they will go into dangerous territory full of perils and disaster. And doesn't that describe the world as we know it? People wandering aimlessly along in this life. Following the tides of the cultural waves that come and go, pushing in one direction and then the other. Prone to wander away from God, the great shepherd of the sheep. Our world is in need of a shepherd and God is enough. As the hymn, Come Thou Fount, says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are a people who need a shepherd and we have Jesus. We need Jesus. So how should we understand what it practically means that the Lord is our shepherd? Well, I think it means at least three things in this psalm. It means that God cares. It means that he provides. And it means that he promises his presence. So firstly, God cares for his flock. Read verse 1 again with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God cares for his people because he knows them. That's why Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd, I know my own. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, I know them by name. God knows everything about you. Every little thing. He knows your fears. He knows your joys. He knows your struggles. And he knows your peace. And he knows your needs. And as a good shepherd, he cares for you. And David saying, I lack nothing, I think is both a declaration and a decision. It's a declaration that we should make as Christians that our needs are supplied by the Lord, our shepherd. But it's also a decision that we make every single day that we decide not to want or desire more than the Lord sees fit to give us. It doesn't mean that every Christian in the world will never lack anything in their life. We know that's not true in our own lives. And we know it's not true around the world as well. But it means that ultimately our greatest need 
The greatest problem we have of separation from God because of our sin has gone because of Christ. It means that as Christians we lack nothing because in Jesus we have been given every spiritual blessing. As Ephesians 1 says. Now sadly we don't have time to read that or unpack that. Please do read Ephesians 1 later and be blown away by God's care for his people. Here's just a taster. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 4 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. A Christian who has full assurance of Jesus and the spiritual blessings we have in him can say, I lack nothing. Nothing. Because I have everything in Jesus. That is precisely why Corrie ten Boom can say, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That's precisely her point. God is our great shepherd and he cares for his sheep. The second thing that we see is that God is our shepherd, provides for his people in verses 2 to 3. Read those with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now look at that beautiful imagery. God provides times of refreshment for his people. Quiet waters, green pastures, refreshment for the soul. God knows the refreshment that you need. And some of the refreshment, some of that refreshment is given to us in this life as God graciously brings us seasons of rest and recovery. It doesn't mean, sadly, that God is going to send you to live in the Bahamas for six months of the year. But it does mean the quietness of your home or anywhere else as you sit and you read his word As you come privately to worship him, he will refresh you and fill your mind with truth. We often think of refreshment in terms of rest. Rest from the things that stress us out during the day. Things that keep us busy in life. But refreshment here is a spiritual one. It's the refreshment you get as you sit and you wait in the presence of the Lord. As you spend time in prayer and reading the Bible and you come away knowing somehow, miraculously, it's a mystery that God has given you strength to face another day. Refreshment to face the day ahead. It means that as you gather with other believers, you are mutually encouraged by the teaching of God's word. As we sing songs together and to God out of praise, as we encourage one another in conversations about what we're learning about God and what he's doing in our lives, those are the things that God uses every single day to refresh you. He refreshes you by reminding you of the spiritual blessings that you have in Jesus. It is all focused on Jesus. So God provides refreshment, but he also provides guidance. The end of verse 3, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. 
Now, when I was a shepherd in Romania, I had to walk in front of the sheep. They needed to hear my voice. They needed to listen to my calls, leading them to the place where they could find food and rest. I could have given them a map, told them where to go, left them to their own devices, but it would not have ended well, and my boss would have fired me. But it would have been pointless. They would have ended up everywhere. The shepherd is a guide. And the good shepherd is a guide for Christians. Jesus walks before us, pointing us along the right paths that we should go by his spirit, by his word. The paths that he has created us to walk in. In the Bible, God has given us instructions that we should follow as Christians. He's given us leading that we should go and live in a way that honors him. That is why it's so important that everything we do in church, everything we do as Christians is based on the Bible. That we stick to it, that we read it, and that we live it out. God has given us his word as the good shepherd for it to lead us. And as his sheep, we need to listen and we need to follow. For his ways are good and trustworthy because he is good and trustworthy. The third thing is that God promises his presence. Read verse 4 with me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now don't forget that verses 3 and 4 go together. The Lord leads us down the right paths, and that means that sometimes the dark valley is the right path that God has prepared for you to go down. Right paths don't mean rosy paths where everything is well in life. But the comforting truth is that God is there as your shepherd and he promises to never leave us. Even in the darkest of times, in the face of danger and fears, the Lord's promise never goes away. He will be with his people. This whole psalm is bound up and rooted in God's presence. And his presence is the same in the life of a believer, whether you're in the green pastures of verse 2 or the darkest valley of verse 4. Valleys and green pastures are not mutually exclusive. We can have those moments of green pastures in those moments of refreshment in the darkest of valleys. In the deepest of suffering, the spiritual blessings never go away because it was all won by the completed work of Jesus Christ. And that never changes. Maybe you're in the valley right now. Maybe you're struggling and it's hard. I know that a number of you here this evening are in the midst of that dark valley. Take courage that God is your shepherd. You might not know why you're going through what you're going through. You might never understand why all of this is happening to you. And in some senses, we don't need to know. But we do not need to fear because God is with us. In those moments of darkness and despair, take this psalm, pray it. Read it over and over and over again. Get it into your blood and trust in God. 
I find it comforting to know that even though we're in the valley, that could be the path that God is leading you on, but it is also the place where he can bring pastures along the way. It's not all doom and gloom, but God is with us. And this week has been particularly hard for me as I've been preparing to preach this psalm. In 2019, a close friend of mine and a guy I discipled almost weekly for two years took his own life. This was a psalm that we read regularly together as he went through many different struggles in his life. And this was a psalm that I preached at his funeral after life had become too much for him. He knew what a dark valley was. Every week he said that is where he lived, in the darkest valley. But every week we cracked open Psalm 23. And we reminded each other, as he went through all the struggles in life, even in the midst of that valley, the Lord promises his presence for his people. Nothing can change that. Whatever valley you're facing, whether it's the dangers of a world that is out to get you, whether it's the pain of a doctor's diagnosis, whether it's the struggles of marriage, relationships, or whether it's loneliness or anxiety or mental health struggles, whatever it may be, do not believe the lie that God has abandoned you. Do not listen to Satan's schemes because God has not moved an inch. Even in the darkest valley, you do not need to fear evil because God is with you. That doesn't mean it won't be hard. Valleys are hard, but it does not change who God is. And it does not change who you are in him. And even in that valley, the Lord's rod and staff will comfort you as verse 4 says. That's a staff to direct you and to protect you. The direction comes from God's word as he leads you along the right paths to live the way that glorifies him. And the comforting there means defending. A shepherd had a big stick that was to warn off dangerous animals. The Lord, like a shepherd, is watching over you. He cares for you. And he will protect you. The Lord, like a shepherd, cares for, provides for, and promises his presence to his people. Now, there is no greater person to follow in this life than the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd king, who humbled himself, stepped into our world of mess, our world of sin, so that he could lead us to God. So that he could provide the ultimate care because he knows what it is like to live in a sin-stained world. So that he could make the ultimate provision of peace with God and forgiveness of sins possible through his death. And so that he could follow through on the great promise of God's presence in the life of every believer. Because what did Jesus do? After he ascended into heaven, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit. 
who dwells in every single follower of Jesus, and we are never alone. Whether we are at the green pastures and quiet waters, whether we are in the darkest valleys, surrounded by clouds of thick darkness, the Lord is with you. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. The Lord is my shepherd. The second thing we see is the Lord is my host. In verses 5 to 6, the Lord is my host. Read those verses with me. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, being in this church, I have no doubt that every single one of us has the experience of walking into someone else's home as you've been invited in for a meal. You walk through the door and the smell of food immediately hits you. You're taken into a table and invited to take a seat and it's been set beautifully. And the food starts to come out. Your mouth is watering and you are surrounded by good company. That's the imagery that we have here. That's how reading this psalm for ourselves, we are the guests and God is the host. The picture points forward to the new creation, that great banquet feast that the Lord is preparing for his bride, the church. The anointing of our heads with oil and our cup overflowing are images that describe the joyful welcome to the feast and the abundant provision. See, it's not just a a welcome at the door with a handshake and a wee smile. But it's like God is the host. It's that image of that's used during the parable of the prodigal son, where the father picks up his robes and runs to his son who he sees far off. There is great joy and rejoicing as the son and father are reunited. That's what it will be like in the new creation as we come into the presence of the Lord and are with him forever. And then the table, see, it doesn't just have a few plates of food on it, but there is a mountain of wonderful food. It is stacked with all manner of goodness, all designed for every single invitee to enjoy the abundant blessing and close fellowship of being in the presence of the Lord, our great host. Now reading those words, hearing the description of this host, I cannot help but think of the day, Lord willing, when I die and I hear those long-awaited words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is what this psalm is pointing us to. But until that day comes, the promise there in verse 6, surely goodness and love or goodness and mercy will follow me until I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the blessings of being a Christian don't only begin when this temporary life ends, but even now, The Lord is good to us. His goodness and love are our constant companions through this life. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be rosy and perfect. But it does mean that like Paul says in Romans 8, we can trust that God is working out things for the good of all his people. Even when we, like sheep, have gone astray. Even when we are prone to wander 
from the Lord we love. The truth that this psalm teaches is that God will never, ever turn away from his people and goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And they will keep us and he will keep us in him until that final day where we are seated at the banquet of the king. We can be certain absolutely certain that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because he is our shepherd who is leading us there and he is our host who is preparing a place for us in the presence of the Lord so with all that in mind that this psalm teaches I think that every Christian can confidently say that God is enough and we can say with Corrie ten Boom you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have even if everything we have in this life is stripped away, even if we're in the darkest valley, we can know that God is enough because he is our shepherd and he is our host. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening and some of us will be in those dark valleys. Some of us will be in the Psalm 22 experience where we're looking at our lives and we're asking why. We may even feel that you have abandoned us. But Father, we thank you that you promise to never leave nor forsake your people. We thank you that you care for us so much that you sent your son, the great shepherd king, to die in our place so that we can be reconciled to you. Jesus, we thank you that you are leading us through this life, that you are guiding us, and that right now you are at the right hand of the Father preparing a wonderful banquet for us to enjoy for eternity. And Lord, my prayer is that you would help us all stay on the right path. Help us abide in you as you abide in us. Because by ourselves we can do nothing. We are sheep, prone to wonder. And Lord, we feel it every single day. Help us by your spirit to cling to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.